book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, and we'll be looking at the last part of Acts chapter 9 as I share a message with you about uh, the importance or our responsibility to embrace the essentials from Acts chapter 9. In just a few minutes, we'll be reading verses 32 through 43. When we started this journey through the book of Acts some 15 weeks ago, we tried to get the right definition for what the church is. And and one of the ways we tried to rightly define uh, the idea of the church is to understand the wrong definition that we have sometimes assigned to this idea of the church. The church is not a building, though we are in one right now. The church is not a a building. The the church is not a a collection of programs, although churches have programs. That's not what the church is. The, The church is not even a, uh, a grouping of ministries that are gathered together. The, the, the church is certainly not a holy huddle where once a week or twice a week the people of God are just to gather only and that be all that takes place. Instead, we'd uh, be reminded that the word that is used for church in always refers to a group of people who have been called out and around a purpose. The church is designed by God not to be a museum, but rather to be a movement where the people of God realize that they are called out for a mission, that they are sent into the world by the authority of Jesus with the message of Jesus. Jesus for the glory of Jesus. Now that's the design, but that's not always the outcome. See, we have to guard against the temptation to drift away from our purpose of being sent, left to ourselves. If we are not intentional about being who God's called us to be, left to ourselves, we will become a holy huddle whose primary focus is internal. Left to ourselves, we will drift to ourselves away from our God. God-given mission. That is why it is so important for us to make sure that we embrace the essentials of what it means to be the people that God has created us to be and to be the church that God has called us to be. You see, as a follower of Jesus, you can do a lot of things, but you better be sure that you're doing the essential things. As a church that was founded by Jesus and is to be guided by Jesus. As a church, we can do a whole lot of things, but we better be sure that we always do, before anything else, the essential things. And so as as we look at Acts chapter 9, we realize that our challenge today and every day is to embrace the essentials. Now as this chapter ends... The scene shifts. It's been on the apostle Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And it's focused on his conversion and his early walk with Jesus in those first 
few months of his following Jesus, and now the scene goes back to Peter, and, and Peter, at the end of this chapter, Peter has some really remarkable encounters and experiences, and when we, will, when we stop and just look at what Scripture's teaching us, I think that we will see how Peter is embracing the essentials and how it's a challenge for us as well. Let's read our text, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Interesting, he didn't tell him to pick up his bed, but to make his bed. Always make your bed. And that one I don't listen to. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Leto was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and... When she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. If we, play, if we pay close attention to what's happening here in our text. I, I think we see Peter just doing some very basic things, just embracing the essentials of, of what it means to walk with Jesus and, and what it means to follow Jesus. And, and he's doing these things that the church has been doing so far in Acts. And it's just a, a challenge for me and a challenge for you and a, a challenge for us today to ask ourselves, are we embracing those essentials? What are those essentials? I'm glad you asked because I came prepared to answer that very question this morning, to look at the essentials that Peter is embracing that we need to embrace as well. Ready? Doesn't matter if you're not, we're going to go anyway. Number one's this. The first essential is that we must embrace our going. We must embrace our going. Notice how the text opens up in verse 32. It tells us that Peter was going he went here and there among them all. He, he was going. He was constantly on the move, and, and that made it easy for him to, to be directed by God because he embraced his obligation to go. Hey, listen real carefully. This calling to go and embracing this essential of going it is so important because we cannot follow the example of Jesus and we cannot follow the teaching of Jesus unless we embrace going. 
Okay, I, I want to repeat that because it's very important for us to understand. Remember, we can do a lot of things with our lives. We can do a lot of things with our church. But if we do not embrace this essential of going, we will not be following the example of Jesus. We will not be following the teaching of Jesus. We cannot do those two things unless we embrace the essential of our going. You see, the example of Jesus is such as that he was always on the go. Not just filling his life with busyness, but filling his life with the business of God. So much so that Mark chapter 1 tells us that rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed. He went out to a desolate place, and, and there he prayed. And Simon, this is Peter, Peter comes to Jesus, and, and those who were also searching for him, they found it, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, let us what? Go. Yeah, everybody's looking for me, but we, we're not here for folks to find me. We're here to go. We're here. Let us go to the next town. Let us go to the next assignment. Let us go to the next thing that God is calling us to do. Jesus was always on the go. Think about this. Jesus was on the face of this earth about 33 years. Of those 33 years, there was about three of those years that we could say were really devoted to ministry, and especially 18 months of that three years was really honed in on that. But let's just give the, the number of three years. In the span of three years, Jesus set into place and into motion the mechanism for salvation for the entire world for the history of time. How was he able to do that? Because he embraced the fact that he was sent. He embraced this essential of, of going. And it wasn't just his example, it's also his teaching. Because later in Mark's gospel, Jesus will tell his followers, you and I, as his followers, he will tell his church in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he simply says, go, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. You cannot spell gospel without spelling go. And so it's time that you and I get going. We've got to embrace this essential of going. They say, Pastor, does that mean that I have to move to the other side of the world or I have to go to the other side of the country? It might. That might be what God calls you to do. But that may not be what God calls you to do. See, God may not call you to go to the other side of the world but I guarantee you, God's calling you to go to the other side of your street. I guarantee you that God's calling you to go to the side of, of a political aisle or a social aisle or a racial aisle and, and to go wherever he sends you as his representative to live sent. We should look at every day of our lives as an opportunity to join God on his mission of redemption as we go into the harvest field. And that harvest field is where you work. That harvest field is where you go to school. That harvest field is where you live. That harvest field is where you shop. Everybody knows Jesus is needed in Walmart. Can I get a witness, amen, praise the Lord. That wherever we go, 
<coughs> whoever God puts around us, we embrace this essential of going. Did you notice what happened? Look down at verse 38 of that text again. When Tabitha died, it tells us that the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, they sent two men to go get him. These two unknown men did not have the ability to raise someone from the dead, but they found the man who did. You know how they found him? Because they went. They embraced going one way or another. We can be on mission for the Lord everywhere we go. It's essential that we embrace our calling to go. So the essentials then, it's that we embrace going, but also it's essential that we embrace gathering. It's essential that we embrace going, but it's also essential that we embrace gathering. Not only was Peter faithful to go, but he was also faithful to gather, as it tells us in verse 32, that he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. He's gathering with the saints. He's gathering with God's people. And that is something every follower of Jesus needs to do. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you may not feel like it. and You may not think you look like it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. And God's desire is that we gather together. You see, our going, our going helps us fulfill the external, to get out of our walls, to to get out of our, our holy huddles. Our gathering allows us to accomplish worship and fellowship. It's not either or, it's both and. It's not that we embrace going at the expense of gathering or we embrace gathering at the expense of going. It's that we embrace both, that both are essential. The author of Hebrews tells us why this is so essential. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're told to consider how to stir up one another. Now look, I've been pastoring, I've been preaching since 1993. I've been pastoring uh, since 1995. I've seen a lot of stirring up happen in churches. (laughs) But it's not stirring up to, to cause trouble that's to happen. What the author of Hebrews tells us is to consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works that that we could not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but we gather so we can encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the author of Hebrews says the closer we get to the end, the, the more important it is for us to gather to encourage and to strengthen and to stir up one another to love and good works. So let me ask you, Do you embrace your responsibility to stir someone else in this room up to love and good works? Not to stir up stuff, okay? Look, I told you earlier, there are 4,689 churches in Santa Rosa County, and a lot of those churches enjoy stirring stuff up. This ain't one of them, all right? So if you want to stir up some stuff, I can give you a list. Instead, we're to stir up to love and good works, to encourage. It is essential that we embrace this purpose of gathering. So we embrace our our going, we embrace our gathering, but something else I see Peter embracing here is it's essential of his giving. We, We must embrace 
the essential of giving. You see, Peter was given a very specific gift. Namely, he was given the gift to bring physical healing to this man named Aeneas and to bring physical life back to the lady named Tabitha or Dorcas. Now, just as a reminder, as we've seen this in Acts a little bit so far, we don't have the same gifts that Peter had. If we had these gifts, every hospital in the panhandle would be empty, right? I mean, if we, if we were able to do this in, in our gifting. Peter's gift of healing, just like the gift of, of tongues back in chapter 2 and, and the gift of healings that we've seen already in the book of Acts, that was very specific for the book of Acts in how God used those gifts to give visible credibility to the message that the apostles were preaching and the ministry the church was doing as God was beginning this movement. But notice something about this gift that Peter had. He didn't keep this gift for himself. He gave it away to others. You don't see Peter on, on TBN. I should have said name the station. You don't see Peter on one of those Christian organizations that have TV stations. You don't see him appearing late at night and saying, if you'll send me a, a, a donation and if you'll send me a little monthly <clears throat> offering, then I promise I'll sneeze on this miraculous hanky and I'll send it to you and you'll have the gift of my snot and my healing. <laughs> he doesn't do that. Peter just takes the gift that God's given him and he gives it away for the benefit of others. He just gives himself to the benefit of others. He doesn't strut around and, and, and brag about the fact that he has this gift. He doesn't put it on his resume to try to get a bigger, if there was, I don't guess there was a second church at that time, to get a better spot somewhere else in the church. He simply has the gift God's given to him, and he wants to give it back to others. Look, we may not have the same gifts that Peter had, but we all have God-given gifts, and God does not give you those gifts for you to keep to yourself or to use for your own benefit. God gives us those gifts so we can turn around and serve others with those gifts. And if you're not using what God has given you to be a blessing and to minister to someone else, then you're not embracing this essential of giving. Oh, it most certainly can be the giving of your offering, and you need to do that. It can be the giving of your finances, but it's also the giving of yourself to pour into the life of someone who needs to see and hear Jesus from you. If we don't embrace this calling, we're not embracing the essentials because you see, God is a giver. In fact, 
More than anything else, God gave us himself in Jesus. God poured out himself for us in Jesus. And Jesus poured out himself as a gift of grace to us. It is essential, therefore, for us to embrace our responsibility to give ourselves as we serve him. I love how Paul explains to us in Philippians chapter 2 how Jesus pours out himself. And he tells us in Philippians chapter 2 to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourselves. He he tells us to to let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. How many issues would be solved if we would just do those couple of things? He said to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus who even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did Jesus do? He emptied himself and took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Did you notice that Paul said Jesus emptied himself. What a calling for us. Are you emptying yourself for the glory of God? What God has blessed you with, how God has blessed you, are you using that for your agenda or for his? I don't know how God has gifted you, but I know that God wants every follower of his to be a giver one way or another. God wants all of us to participate in his work. We embrace our going because it's essential and and we embrace our gathering and, and we embrace giving. But fourth, it is essential that we embrace God. You say, well, pastor, no, duh. Obviously, we need to embrace God and, and we say that, but let's, let's think about that. To understand if we're really embracing the person of God, or, or are we just wanting to grab on to the benefit of God? You see, some people, you, you view, and by some people, I mean all of us, we, we view God as either beneficial, uh, beneficial or, or beautiful. We, we view God as, as either being beautiful in and of himself, and, and the fact that he is God is worth us pursuing. Or let's just be honest, there are sometimes that the only reason we seek after God is because we think of the benefit he's going to give us. When we start talking about the essentials, again, we can do a lot of things. You can spend your life chasing God because of what you think God will do for you if you chase him, if you pursue him. But that's not the essential. The essential is that we embrace God because he is God, because of who he is. Even if he does nothing for us, the fact that he's God and we're not is enough for us to pursue him. You see, as Peter goes through these encounters, even though he had this God-given gift, he was careful to give God credit for the healing of Aeneas. He said in verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. 
When faced with the impossible task of raising the dead, in verse 40, Peter knelt down and prayed, appealing to the power of God. You see, Peter realized something that all of us here, we may know, but we need to embrace and realize ourselves. Peter realized that he could do nothing in his own strength, but he could do anything in God's strength. See, Peter had heard Jesus On the night before he was crucified, Peter heard Jesus speak these words, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He heard Jesus say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, apart from Jesus, apart from our embrace of God, we can do nothing. We must embrace who God is. And we must call others to embrace him as well. For you see, God's goal today is the same as it was in Acts chapter 9. God's goal is to see people turn to the Lord. Verse 35 tells us that all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw when Aeneas was healed, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42 tells us that it became known throughout all Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. By God's grace, we can encourage people to turn to the Lord, and we can point people to Jesus. This was God's goal all along. Look, as wonderful as the healing of Aeneas was, he didn't stay well forever. He got sick again. How do I know that? He's not alive today. As as wonderful as it was for for Tabitha to be brought back from the dead. And by the way, I think I'd have been a little chapped if I was Tabitha. I mean, she's in heaven, and then she has to get called back. Now, I've never been to heaven, neither have you, regardless of what you say or think. No, it's just a bad meal you had if you thought you have. But I've got a feeling that if I get there, and when I get there, if I get there... (laughs) If it helps, <laughs> whatever. But when I get there, the pastoral search committee is going, what did we do seven years ago? The pastor just admitted that if he gets to heaven. When I get to heaven, I've got a feeling I will not want to return. But here Tabitha is, and she's returned. But guess what? She died again. But the point was not the healing of Aeneas. The point was not the raising to life of Tabitha, Dorcas. The point, the goal, was that those who were witnesses to all of this would embrace the Lord. The most wonderful thing that happened in this text is that people turned to the Lord, and God has the same goal today. Therefore, It is essential that we remain connected to God, abiding in Christ. We can do nothing without him, but we can do anything with him. So I want to ask you this morning, 
I want us to use this last essential as our invitation. Have you embraced God? He's ready to embrace you. The most essential thing before anything else matters is that a person let go of their sin, that they let go of self, and they embrace Jesus as a Savior. Look, you can embrace yourself, and you can try to find the champion in you, and all that other stuff that you'll hear people tell you. But self cannot fix itself. That which is broken, we're all broken by sin. That which is broken cannot fix itself. We must have someone do the fixing for us. You can embrace sin if you want to. No, I'm not going to stand on this pulpit and tell you that there's no pleasure in sin. If there was no pleasure in sin, none of us would do it. But we all sin. Because there's some pleasure in it, but that pleasure is fleeting. And embracing that sin, it may bring you pleasure for a moment in this life. But according to Scripture, to embrace sin at the expense of embracing a Savior... It leads to separation from God for eternity. And that's not a place that I want to be, and that's not a place I want you to be. So have you embraced Jesus as your Savior? If you haven't, he's ready to embrace you. It is simple as, as best as you know how. Crying out to him with confession and repentance Asking him to save you. If you've never done that, I implore you to do that today. If you've got a question about what that means, then, then when we stand and see just a minute, come down here and say, Pastor, I want to know what it means to embrace Jesus as my Savior. And, and, and we'll make sure that before you leave today, you know what that means. But for those of us in this room who already have had that embrace of Jesus as Savior, let me ask you, are you embracing these essentials? Are, are, are you embracing what God's called you to do? You can spend your life doing a lot of things, but we must spend our life doing the essential things. Whatever God is placing upon your heart to do today, would you simply surrender to him? Would you bow with me this morning? I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand and sing. This altar is open for you to pray. You pray in your pew. It's a time for you to do business with God, to make a commitment to God in whatever way he's leading you. I don't know what God is placing upon the table of your life today. Whatever is there, I pray that you would say yes. Father God, I thank you that Jesus did the essential work of embracing a cross, emptying himself so that he could come and live the life that we could never live, 
a life of perfection that we would never be able to achieve, that he was able to do that. And then he died the death that our sin condemned us to die. That he was separated from you on that cross so that we would never have to be separated from your presence if we have a relationship with you. So Father, I pray this morning that if there's one in this room, if there's one listening to us online, if there's someone today and they've never embraced you as Savior, that today they would toss aside the embrace of themselves and their sin and they would seek salvation from your good hand. And Father, I pray for those of us in this room who have made that decision. Left to ourselves, we will drift away from the essentials. I pray this morning that you would call us back to doing what will honor and glorify you. We invite your Holy Spirit now to have his way and his will in our lives. In Jesus' good name we ask it. Thank you.